Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 2nd edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folds with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. There's been a long-running battle between NFL teams and players over the jurisdiction of the California WCAB to adjudicate claims filed by out-of-state players. A U.S. Supreme Court arbitration ruling may help the NFL teams with this battle. Over the last decade, some teams have inserted language in their player contracts that requires the player to file any workers' compensation claim in the team's home state, or if filed elsewhere, such as in California, to apply the law of the Workers' Compensation Act of the team state. After signing these contracts, some of the players ignored this paragraph and filed claims in California anyway. A few teams responded by filing a grievance with an arbitrator to enforce this clause of the agreement. One case that ended as a victory for the team has now been appealed to the Federal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. At issue is a battle between the views of the arbitrators who are enforcing the player contract versus some California workers' compensation judges who claim that California law does not allow a player to waive rights to claim benefits here in California. A resolution of this controversy may rest on the preemption that federal arbitration law may have over state law. The two NFL arbitrations occurred under the protections of the Federal Arbitration Act, or FAA. The FAA was enacted in 1925. In an arbitration, the parties give up the right to an appeal on substantive grounds to a court. Most state law that disfavors the enforcement of arbitration proceedings will be preempted by the Federal Arbitration Act. A case-by-case -case analysis is required to determine whether a specific California law is preempted. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court, in the case of AT&T Mobility versus Conception, overturned the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the same court where one of the NFL cases is pending appeal. With language sustaining and enforcing the preemption of a federal arbitration over conflicting federal, conflicting California law. In the AT&T case, the plaintiffs attempted to pursue a class action against AT&T for fees they were charged on their cellular service agreement for a phone that was supposedly free. The service agreement between AT&T and their customers required arbitration and did not permit class arbitration. The federal district court found the arbitration provision to be unconscionable because it disallowed class-wide proceedings as otherwise permitted under California law. AT&T appealed, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed and would not enforce the arbitration clause either. The U.S. Supreme Court disagreed with the Ninth Circuit Court and upheld the arbitration clause and stated that there is a liberal federal policy favoring arbitration. The FAA was enacted in 1925 in response to widespread judicial hostility to arbitration agreements. Thus, courts must place arbitration agreements on an equal footing with other contracts and enforce them according to their terms. As a result of the guidance provided by this Supreme Court decision, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal will have less latitude to invalidate the arbitration award and the pending NFL appeals. This new case is seen by some NFL teams as good news for them in the NFL workers' compensation genre of cases. And here's more 
information about NFL arbitrations. The Chicago Bears prevailed in arbitration against several players, preventing them from pursuing their workers' compensation claims in California. Three grievances were filed against former Bears players, Michael Haynes, Joe Odom, and Cameron Worrell. In 2009 and 2010, the players filed claims for workers' compensation benefits with the California WCAB. The teams claimed that this violated their contracts that had language requiring them to file workers' compensation claims in Illinois and apply Illinois law. The Bears' argument points to an earlier case the Tennessee Titans filed against Bruce Matthews over his contract that involved similar language. In Matthews, the arbitrator found the player breached his player's contract by pursuing his claim in California, resulting in a cease and desist order. Matthews has been confirmed by the Federal District Court in Southern California. However, the Matthews case is pending review by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. <clears throat> it was declared and ordered in the Bears case that players Haynes, Odom, and Worrell are to cease and desist the pursuit of their workers' compensation claims in the state of California. Parties expect the Bears case to be appealed. A WCAB 30-page panel decision awarded attorney fees, costs, and sanctions totaling over $45,000 against the Back Pain Chiropractic Clinic Corporation and Thomas Huco, D.C., and Daniel Escamilla, the hearing representative, and what is believed to be one of the largest such awards made against a lien claimant. The costs and fees were awarded and the sanctions imposed because of bad faith actions, including the filing of frivolous pleadings and missed appearances. After applicants settled her claim for workers' compensation benefits, defendant filed a petition for costs and sanctions against Mr. Escamilla and Dr. Huco, along with a request that Mr. Escamilla's privilege to practice before the WCAB be revoked. The petition alleged frivolous and bad faith litigation and also identified misappearances by Mr. Escamilla and derogatory comments he made against defendant's attorney to the employer, Newport Mesa School District and its insurance adjuster. In 2008, Mr. Escamilla appeared at two school board meetings at the Newport Mesa Unified School District without any advance notice to the defense counsel. He instructed the school board that their continuing to employ their defense attorney was a waste of taxpayer money. Numerous continuances were granted in the work comp case at the request of the lien claimant or Mr. Iskamia for reasons such as discovery, being out of the country, selecting an attorney to represent him, illness, and unavailability. Dr. Hukos claimed at one point that he was not a party, an assertion also found to be frivolous. After several petitions for reconsideration and removal, the WCAB ultimately agreed with the work comp judge that an award of costs and fees is appropriate. However, they made small adjustments to the amount of the allowed costs and fees. The WCAB went over the charges item by item and in a few instances did not agree that some of the items were the result of frivolous tactics. These amounts were subtracted from the award as well as the related sanction. The $46,900 award of costs and fees was reduced by approximately $2,700 and the amount of sanctions was reduced from $3,500 to $1,000. 
The Court of Appeal ruled on the application of Labor Code Section 5814 penalty for temporary total disability underpayment. Here's what happened in the published opinion of Coca-Cola Enterprises versus WCAB Espinoza. The work comp judge awarded Isaac Espinoza a penalty under Labor Code Section 5814 for Coca-Cola's underpayment of temporary total disability benefits. Espinoza received TTD benefits during two periods of temporary total disability. During both periods, he received benefits at the rate of $599 per week. During Espinoza's second period of TTD, Coca-Cola provided their TPA with a wage statement showing higher earnings. After both of Espinoza's periods of TTD had ended, he was paid a lump sum retroactively adjusting his benefit level from $599 to $728 per week. The case went to trial on penalties for the underpayment of TTD. The work comp judge imposed a penalty on the difference between $840 per week, an amount higher than two-thirds of his average weekly earnings, and what the carrier paid. The work comp judge based this conclusion on Regulation 10101.1, which specifies certain materials that must be included in a claims administrator's claim files. The judge construed the regulation to require payment of TTD at the maximum statutory rate unless there is documentation in the claims adjuster's file supporting payment at a lower rate. Because Coca-Cola did not provide their TPA with a wage statement documenting Espinoza's actual wages, the judge held that the defendants were obligated to pay statutory maximum than in effect. The Court of Appeal disagreed with the work comp judge's construction of this regulation. The regulation does not state what a worker is entitled to receive or what an employer is obligated to pay. The benefit level is set by Labor Code Section 4653 instead. Regulation 10101.1J only imposes record-keeping requirements on claims adjusters. This case was remanded with instructions to correctly calculate the penalty. And now our fraud report. A claimant's fraud conviction has been upheld by the Court of Appeal. Here's what happened in the unpublished opinion of People versus Crystal Caldwell. Crystal Caldwell was employed by Los Angeles Community College District as a secretary at Los Angeles Mission College. She suffered an injury to her back and her right hand while she was assisting in the relocation of her department to another building. Although Caldwell's claim was accepted, the claims administrator had some concerns about several red flags that caused her to question the claim's validity. An investigator conducted two days of surveillance that shows Caldwell bending over several times without hesitation to pick up items off the ground, to tie her shoe, and to retrieve something from the backseat of her car. In her deposition, she denied being able to perform these activities. Caldwell was charged with one count of fraud based upon statements she reportedly made to one of her doctors and the other count based upon her deposition testimony and one count of attempted perjury based upon her deposition testimony. The jury found Caldwell guilty of the second and third counts. Caldwell argued on appeal that to establish that a fraud representation was material, the prosecution must show that her false statements could probably have influenced the determination of her entitlement to workers' comp benefits.
The purpose of Caldwell's deposition, she says, was to impeach or discredit her, rather than to provide information to decide her entitlement to comp. The Court of Appeal disagreed with all of this. The representation is material, they say, if it can influence the determination, even though it does not. If her deposition is something that a reasonable insurer would deem important when determining entitlement to benefits, then it is material and properly subject to a fraud conviction. And in regulatory news, the California Department of Industrial Relations has revoked Mainstay Business Solutions Certificate of Consent to self-insure. Mainstay Business Solutions is a temporary staffing company operated by a Humboldt County Indian tribe. Mainstay's existing workers' comp claims are now being paid by the California Self-Insurer Security Fund. The Office of Self-Insurance Programs revoked the certificate in April after a partial audit determined a shortfall of $4.7 million and revealed that Mainstay's claims were under-reserved by at least $2.3 million. Mainstay also failed to post a security deposit required for its workers' compensation injuries. The dispute between the Blue Lake Ranchera tribal government and the state is the latest in a series dating back to the establishment of Mainstay in 2003. The state and Mainstay have been at loggerheads for now for eight years. Mainstay claimed in 2003 that since they are a tribal government with sovereign immunity, their non-tribal business clients did not have to pay state-approved work comp insurance. Regulators disagreed. For a time, franchisees of the International House of Pancakes in the Central Valley put their workers on Mainstay's payroll. And neither IHOP nor Mainstay had state-approved work comp insurance for on-the-job injuries. When the state threatened to shut down the restaurant chain, IHOP put workers back on its own payroll and acquired state-approved work comp insurance. Blue Lake and Mainstay subsequently settled the case with the state. Mainstay agreed to waive claims of sovereign immunity and provided state-approved comp insurance and sent its non-tribal business uh, to other people. The current dispute does not center on sovereignty only, it centers on the amount that's owed. Mainstay has now gone out of business. They have placed over 400 workers in the region and another 7,500 workers elsewhere in California. All will lose their jobs with Mainstay, although it is likely that many of the employers will make arrangements with other staffing firms to retain the effective workers. The Casualty Actuarial Society says that health care reform will bring short and long-term challenges to employers and the property casualty insurance industry. Obamacare is a totally new health care system that appears to have material implications for the future of health care delivery in the U.S. The society says that workers' compensation insurance shares a lot in common with the country's health care system because medical claims are such a big part of work comp costs. Spending for medical benefits under work comp has, on the average, followed the same dramatic growth pattern. What we see going on in work comp is actually a reflection of what's going on in the nation as a whole. Key provisions of Obamacare, such as administrative simplification and standardization, with everyone using the same forms, which are handled electronically, may ultimately affect workers' comp. Medicare fees are going to be adjusted a little less frequently, which should also hold down costs.
Other provisions such as evidence-based medicine, pay per episode, pay for outcomes, reimbursement schedules, and accountable care organizations will also cause changes to trickle down to work comp. And now our medical news. An article in the April Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine says that people who travel extensively for business have increased rates of poor health and health risk factors, including obesity and high blood pressure. Researchers at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia University compared health risks for employees using data on more than 13,000 employees. Close to 80% of the employees traveled at least one night per month. Nearly 1% were extensive travelers, which means they were on the road more than 20 nights per month. Researchers found that rates of less than good health increased along with nights of travel. Extensive travelers were 260% more likely to rate their health as fair to poor compared to light travelers, and more likely to have high blood pressure and unfavorable cholesterol levels. Although business travel is often equated with long airline flights, relatively short business trips in personal cars are much more common. Several factors can contribute to health risks in frequent business travelers, such as poor sleep, fattening foods, and long periods of inactivity. The authors suggest some steps that companies can take, such as offering stress management classes, selecting hotels with gym facilities, or tying meal reimbursements to healthier food choices will help employees minimize the risk. Another new study reported in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences claims that certain types of antidepressants may not work as well in people that take painkillers, such as ibuprofen and aspirin. The mix of these two medications is common in treatment for industrial injuries. The possible link is something for patients with depression and the doctors treating them to think about when treating pain and inflammation. The author said that if you're taking an SSRI antidepressant and it's not working so well, one possibility could be that the anti-inflammatory drugs are having an effect. Researchers found that mice treated with Celexa and an a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication had lower levels of the antidepressant in their blood than those that were only given Celexa. The same researchers also analyzed data from a study done on about 1,500 people treated with Celexa for 12 weeks. 55% of patients who did not take NSAIDs showed improvement compared to only 45% of participants who did. Some neuroscientists recommend that if someone is receiving an SSRI antidepressant, they should avoid NSAIDs. Others think that such a recommendation may well be controversial and cause difficulties for patients with arthritis and other conditions which benefit from non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. In March, the CWCI examined prescribing patterns for Schedule II opioids in the California workers' compensation system. The study found that a relatively small percentage of medical providers prescribe the majority of these powerful, highly addictive narcotics. Part two of their drug study was distributed this week and focused on prescribing patterns for a very dangerous painkiller, fentanyl. Fentanyl is 75 to 100% more powerful, 100 times that is, more powerful than oral morphine. 
Although fentanyl can be administered intravenously, administration can also be by skin patch or as a lozenge or effervescent tablet. The FDA has issued several warnings regarding the drug. In July 2005, the FDA issued a health advisory in response to reported fatalities among patients using the narcotic. And in December 2007, the FDA issued another safety warning in response to continued reports of life-threatening side effects. The FDA also has issued several recall notices of fentanyl patches for reasons of accelerated drug release or leaking gel. Also in 2007, the FDA issued a more specific warning regarding buccal fentanyl, stating that it should be used only to treat breakthrough cancer pain. Despite these admonitions, use of fentanyl in workers' comp cases continues to rise. The CWCI study found that off-label use of fentanyl was concentrated in the 10% of the claims with the highest volume of Schedule II opiate prescriptions. Later this year, CWCI will release Part 3 of its Schedule II opiate prescription patterns research. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And please remember that you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for some more news.